0: Why Moby Dick? Well, this book excites me like no other. Its poetic verses are glorious, so strong and well-crafted, full of passion and honesty, written by a man who is so in touch with his own human nature. I can't say enough how inspiring and beautiful his words are. When I read them, I'm just filled with this sense of emotion and raw humanity. It's that ever-pulling, human passion that we strive for and so rarely achieve, that fight or flight, heartbreaking, soul screaming, the kind of feeling that makes you want to laugh and cry at the same time, that survival instinct comes alive at these words and lashes out viciously. What breaks my heart is that Herman was never fully recognized for his great works. It is said that he died in obscurity without a single obituary to mark his death. Well, we salute you, Herman Melville, and we thank you for this wonderful poetry you left to the world. It's a truly different experience than, say, just reading a description of an evening night in Boston. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but to fully appreciate these words in this book is something that not all get to do and feel. It's truly an emotional read. Please read this book. I promise you can do it and what a sense of satisfaction you get when you wrap your head around fully. Just remember to keep it velcroed on. Mine's still taped together, but at least it remains intact. With that being said, let's start off where we left off last. We're still in the early, descriptive, and informative chapters of the book before it opens up fully into its romanticism and poeticism. My name is Dylan C. I'm the night Reader. This is the second episode, still trying to figure out my format and the best way to go about all of this. So it's going to be a little bit mixed up, I apologize. Um, It will get better though. We left off with Ishmael entering the Spouter Inn for the first time after an evening of searching for a place to stay. Let's take a listen. In. Looks a lot like the insides of a ship. Landlord, I'd very much like a place to stay. Any available? You old fool tonight, lad. Not a bit unoccupied. Hmm, but a vast. You ain't no objections to sharing a harpooner's blanket, have you? I suppose you're going a-whaling. So you better get used to that sort of thing. Two in a bed. Well, who might this harpooner be? A decent lad, I hope. I haven't got much of a choice on a dreary night like this. As Ishmael enters the spouter inn, he seeks out the landlord and asks him if he has any available rooms. The landlord tells him, unfortunately, no unless you are willing to share a bed with a stranger, a harpooner. Ishmael accepts and he doesn't have really much of a choice in this. So he only hopes that this harpooner, whoever he may be, is at least a decent man. So she's going to be sleeping next to him. We attempt to put ourselves in Ishmael's shoes as he walks into the inn. The first thing we see is an abomination of a painting hanging on the wall. One that only by staring at diligently could you even come close to considering what it may be. In a hypnotic fashion, Ishmael returns to it frequently, trying to figure out what it is he sees in this picture. The image to him resembles an elemental storm or the frozen stream of time. Looking closer, does it not bear a faint resemblance to a giant fish? Yes. What Ishmael decides this painting must be of After much speculation is a broken up ship in a storm with one great whale leaping over moments away from being impaled upon the masts. Along the opposite walls hung terrible ornaments of death, old clubs, rusty harpoons, some of which carried stories with them. One of them was said to be used to kill over 50 whales in only one day from dusk until dawn. Another was said to have been flung at a whale only for that whale to escape and be found years later off the coast of a distant shore with that same harpoon now burrowed 40 feet deep into the front of the whale. I could just imagine a huge whale being struck by this harpoon and with all of it swimming and moving about in the depths over the years, this painful needle always present and forever burrowing, ultimately leading to the death of the great whale And the rediscovery of that old harpoon that now hangs on this wall a representation of a thorn in our sides such thoughtful imagery herman melville presents to us there's a bar the wood carved into the head of a whale behind it arches the huge jawbone of a whale and manning that bar is a small man there right in front of those jaws called jonah by most and rightfully so those jaws seconds away from swallowing him whole, seemingly. Ishmael goes on to describe the sickly glasses he pours his drinks into, ugly green tinted tumblers that he served death in, surely. And the landlord offered a shared bed with the mysterious harpooner. Of course, like we said, Ishmael's willing due to his circumstances. And over dinner, he learns from the landlord that this harpooner is a dark complexioned man one that eats nothing but rare steaks. This raises a lot of suspicion in Ishmael, who just wants to sleep peacefully, and is working himself up about this mysterious man he will undoubtedly share a bed with. He ruminates over the rest of the night. Now, before we go on more about this harpooner, we learn of another character, one that is not central to the story, but is still very important in his representation. As a group of mariners enter the building, fresh from the sea, seemingly. A loud, rambunctious bunch, all soaked from the rain and beards frozen from the sleet. They enter, they eat and drink loudly. And as they drink more, the place gets louder and louder. But what Ishmael notices is one of these men, one who opts out of the drinking and rough housing, one that made far less noise than the rest of his mates. And Ishmael praises this man's demeanor. This man is called Bulkington. And we know this because at the height of the evening, at the loudest moments, he slips away unobserved, most likely to get to bed earlier than the rest. After his crew notices, they begin to wonder where he is and go searching for him, shouting out his name. He seemed for some reason to be a huge favorite amongst them. We do not hear why or even hear much about Bulkington for the remainder of this book. He appears a few times, but his character's main quest is to steer the whaling ship that Ishmael will be setting out upon. So why mention this character? Why include him at all? Well, Bulkington represents the many men that go to die for a greater cause. The armies ahead of their leaders that individual stories are never told. Good men who die often without a cause. He's described as a sober, strong individual this character is surely included to prove the concept of obedience and dying for the greater good. And now, we're back in Ishmael's head. It's nearing midnight and he's incredibly nervous about this man he'll be sleeping next to. Will his linens be tidy? Why is he out so late? A sailor ought to be asleep at this hour. Ishmael tries to sleep on a short bench that has knots and bumps all over the wood. He was freezing and uncomfortable. He thought maybe he ought to shut himself in that shared room and lock the door. Who cares if that harpooner comes a-knocking? But what if that backfired and he wakes up in the morning to an angry harpooner in his face, ready to knock him down? Maybe he's judging too quickly. Well, maybe he'll just wait up and catch a glimpse of him himself. Maybe the two will be great friends. Who knows? Some time passes. Ishmael asks the landlord, What kind of guy is this to stay out so late? At that question, the landlord seemed a bit amused. He's usually an early to bed, early to rise type of guy. But tonight, he's out and about trying to sell ahead. A head? Like a human head? What kind of guy is this? What kind of fable is this landlord feeding to me? I quote, Landlord, do you pretend to say that this harpooner is actually engaged this blessed Saturday night, or rather Sunday morning, in peddling his head around this town? End quote. The landlord affirms and jokes he's not gonna have much luck. There's already too many heads in this world. Ishmael is just flabbergasted at this point. He can't figure out whether this guy is messing with him, trying to scare him, telling him the truth. He says he'll break that harpooner's head himself. The landlord says, well, that man's head is already broken. What could he mean of all this? Who is this man? Is he dangerous? Ishmael gets very scared and very serious and verbosely demands of the landlord to tell him exactly who this man is, if he will be safe sleeping with him. It's almost a crime to send me to bed with this man I know nothing of. The landlord decides to provide a bit more information. He's arrived from the South Seas and brought with him a bunch of embalmed heads. He sold all of them, except for one. That's why he's trying to sell it tonight on Saturday night. The landlord had warned him he could not go out on a Sunday morning and try to sell the heads while people are walking to church. Well, Ishmael calms down just a little bit. I'll read a small excerpt word for word. What could I think of a harpooner who stayed out of a Saturday night, clean into the Holy Sabbath, engaged in such a cannibal business as selling the heads of dead idolaters? Well, the landlord assures him this harpooner is a paying customer. The bed you will share is quite large. This man must have anchored somewhere else for the night. He gives Ishmael a lit candle and leads him upstairs to a cold room. Let's place ourselves there. It's a small, dimly lit room with a very large bed and hardly any furniture adorning the place. There is a large bag undoubtedly containing the harpooner's wardrobe and a tall harpoon leans against the bed there's an object sitting on the bed that resembles a large doormat with quills in it. A slit in the middle. Some kind of heavy, unworldly poncho. He puts it on, turns to a small piece of glass hanging on the wall. He says, quote, I never saw such a sight in my life. I tore myself out of it in such a hurry that I gave myself a kink in the neck. Unquote. It's funny to imagine this guy you know alone alone in the room trying on this stranger's garments only to be disgusted at his own reflection and have to tear the garment off roughly what a scene well he eventually undresses and gets in bed the harpooner never leaving his thoughts now ishmael after a while of rolling about is almost drifting to sleep but what's that sound outside of the door Lord save me, that must be the harpooner, the infernal head peddler. Good heavens, what a sight, such a face. marks upon his cheeks ishmael remembers a story he heard about a whaler falling among the cannibals and being tattooed by them this harpooner must have been met with a similar adventure he wrestles with himself saying in his mind this is just amounts outside maybe he's perfectly fine as a man on the inside all the time thinking these things the stranger pays ishmael no mind the man pulls out of the bag some sort of tomahawk and shoves the dead head down into the bag. The man removes his beaver hat to reveal a completely bald head, save for the small knot of hair that was twisted up on his forehead. Ismail thinks about jumping out of the second story window. Ishmael says to us, He is no coward, but at that point he could not comprehend this man's odd actions. It might as well have been the devil himself breaking into the room on that night for all the tension Ishmael felt. The man undressed, and Ishmael witnessed the same checkerboard tattoo marks covering his entire body, his chest, back, legs, everything. Now, Ishmael figures this man must be some abominable and dangerous savage, a head peddler. Who's to say those aren't the heads of his brothers? Who's to say he doesn't want Ishmael's head in the night? Just look at that tomahawk he has. So yes, all of Ishmael's friends are heathens. The man goes to one of his jackets he hung up and pulls out of the pocket a small black figure resembling a baby. With seeing the embalmed head, Ishmael was partial to believe this was a real shrunken baby. But as soon he realizes it's just a small doll carved out of ebony. The tattooed harpooner takes the doll and places it in the fire, using the mantle as a small shrine of sorts. Ishmael lay in silence, peeking over his covers and watching this event play out. The man pulls out some wood shavings and places them about the idol. He then puts a piece of biscuit into the nest and sets it ablaze. Nearly burning his fingers all the time, the man burned the bread and offered it to his idol all the while chanting a strange, guttural prayer. Then, using such care, he takes the idol out of the fire, and ironically and carelessly, he throws the idol into the bag as if it was just a dead bird. After such careful handling of it, Ishmael figures this man is mere moments away from hopping into bed with him. It's time to break this spell he's been bound by before they left in the dark here together. The man puts his mouth to the end of the axe, as if a pipe, and leans the sharp end into the fire and lights it. A half tomahawk, half tobacco pipe. He begins puffing large clouds of smoke. Fine, Ishmael thinks. But as the mysterious man turns out the candle and jumps into bed with the lit pipe still in his mouth, Ishmael has just about had it. He rolls away in the dark, saying to let him up so he can light the lamp again but the man's deep guttural responses were of a strange dialect, a broken English. Feeling threatened, the would-be cannibal spins the blade around in the dark, the lit ember flourishing around Ishmael. Who you? You no speak a me! I kill Landlord, for God's sake. Peter Coffin, landlord. What? Coffin, angels, save me. As we can see, Ishmael's received quite the fright. Hot tobacco ashes flew about, nearly setting the beddings on fire. But thank heavens, just at that moment, Peter Coffin, the landlord, enters, telling Ishmael not to be afraid, that this man wouldn't harm a hair on his head. He claims... He calms them down and tells Ishmael not to worry a bit. He knows how to speak with the harpooner, who we now know is named Queequeg. Using a broken dialect, the landlord tells him to sleep next to Ishmael peacefully as they mean each other no harm. Queequeg sits in the bed, sitting up, puffing on his pipe. He motions to Ishmael, lifting up the sheets, saying to get inside the bed. The way he did this seemed very kind and honest to Ishmael. He stands and looks at the man for a moment. Getting a better look, even with all his markings, he seemed a clean man. Ishmael feels a bit embarrassed, I would imagine. We're all human beings, and sometimes appearances can be strong in swaying our prejudice. It goes to show how anxiety can manipulate into funny or awkward situations you get into, or manipulate into believing something. And when you finally come to that realization, you see how foolish you've been. Well, this is what Ishmael's feeling at the moment, and he says to himself, better to sleep with a sober cannibal Been a drunken Christian. He asks the landlord if he'll tell Queequeg to stash the tomahawk pipe. He agrees. Again, he politely motions him into the bed. Ishmael gets in, says goodnight to the two men. He turns over and falls asleep, sleeping deeper than he ever has in his life. So that's the end of the chapter. It's an awesome one. We learned so much about Ishmael, and we're starting to be introduced to the character Queequeg, who still remains a bit of a mystery at this point. We learn that Ishmael is not so quick to judge, but over the evening hours his mind gets the best of him, and he ends up believing he'll be sleeping next to some heathenish cannibal. I think it's a great lesson of judging a book by its cover. How easy it is to assume somebody that's covered in tattoos must be a criminal or a bad person. Herman actually got the inspiration for this tattooed character from one of his own sea adventures. Where he was once held captive by a tribe of tattooed cannibals. I'm sure that event left Herman Melville a changed man with a broader spectrum of wisdom and despair of the quickness of man to be a judge on his brothers. It's weaved into the story so well we might not even know it. It's a great chapter to reflect upon and Herman's descriptions are wonderful. The next couple chapters we'll see Ishmael having breakfast with this man and going to check out the boat he'll be sailing on a great whaling vessel called the Pequod. We'll also meet a very mysterious character who delivers to Ishmael some very serious and creepy prophecies about the journey to come. Thank you all so much for listening to my second episode. It was a lot of fun making this, and I hope you all liked it. I hope you'll read this book with me and return next week to see what happens next. I'll be doing a reflective episode sometime soon as well. Talking about the future of my podcast, what books we'll be reading next, background on myself and my reason for doing all of this, stuff like that. We continue to read these classic books, even as times change. These classic moments in these books are forever held in history, as if in stone slabs these words ring true in their permanence. Pick up these books, fight through them with all of you. will, For when you emerge, you are sure to find something inside of you changed. Something that only you can reflect upon by being in the shoes of another. It's very intriguing to bridge that gap in your mind. I would love some feedback from y'all. What would make my material more interesting to you personally? Please let me know, good or bad. I really appreciate any feedback and trying to make this podcast the best that it can be. Uh, This podcast was written and produced by Dylan C. Thank y'all for listening. And I will return next week. So go on. Flip your pages. Drop your sword. Pick up your pens and reading spectacles. Let us read on.